That's in the air. This could be out. Diamond's underneath it. Will he catch it? He's got good hands. He's got him. Yes, he has. Diamond's got him in the deep. Having fumbled all night, he's taken the big one. Welcome to Coach Talk. The guest today is former West Indies fast bowler Colin Croft. He talks about his international career that lasted only 27 tests, his attitude towards his craft and cricket, the great West Indies teams he played on, the pressure on the modern cricketers, amongst other things. Welcome to the show, Crofty. No problem. Go ahead. All right. In the documentary, Fire in Babylon, you know, there is this famous uh, thing where Joel Garner says, hey, Crofty, you know, if... Uh, your mother was on the other end, batting, and then he he said that you would say, "Well, she's a target." You know, I, I want I want to. Where did this aggression come from in you as a fast bowler? You know, was it something that you well, grew up this with? is not about aggression. This is about professionalism. If you hire a guy to be a a pilot, I've been a pilot in my lifetime. You expect him to fly, give you a good takeoff, a nice smooth transition, and when he lands, the airplane lands, rolls out, you come off the airplane with no stress. Mm-hmm. You expect me to do that if I'm a trained and properly um, organized pilot. Mm-hmm. But as a, a fast bowler, as a professional cricketer, that was my job to get people out. I couldn't be bothered who is at the other end. The second part of it is mm-hmm. I will use any means to get you out. It's as simple as that. I've got 10 other guys out there with me to try to get batsmen out. And so whatever legal means I could use, I would use it because that's the purpose of selecting me, to get wickets. In that documentary, David Frith says that, you know, opponents, your oppon- uh, West Indies opponents would say that Crofty would rather hit the batsman than get them out. Is that so? I mean, you're saying that you only were keen on interest. Well, I couldn't be bothered about hitting batsmen. My purpose was to get them out. So hitting them was a, a way of getting them out. Now, if they're babies and they can't cope with it, then they should be playing professional sport anyway. It's as simple as that. But I will also say this. Oh, Michael Holding, Andy Roberts, Joel Garner, Colin Croft. We probably have only played, I think, 11 or 12 test matches together. Mm-hmm. And I am very sure that my record stands up just as good as any of those three that I've called. I'm very, very sure of it because I've checked it. (laughs) And um, while they might be considered greats, and I only got 125 wickets from 27 tests, so that's not great in my mind. That was excellent returns for a short career. Mm -hmm. I will... uh, um, always maintain that I was just as good as them when we played together. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think people question that aspect of it. I mean, I, I want to ask this thing about the mean aspect of a fast bowler. You know, in fact, you were on Cricket for you were named, named as one of the uh, meanest bowlers, you know, 11 meanest bowlers alongside Sylvester Clark and others. Well, you guys have this thing about mean. <laughs> My purpose was to get people out. Mm-hmm. The batsmen were never my friends. I, I never even talked to some of my teammates, much as the opposition. Mm-hmm. When I go out there, it was all business. Cricket is not a cricket at the highest level. is not a joke. Correct. It's my job. And if a batsman gets 100, it means that two things have happened. He has batted exceptionally well mm-hmm. and or I have not done the damn job they selected me to get. It's as simple as that. Now, uh, in my short 27 tests, there, may, there have been a, a couple of test matches that have had some really good batsmanship. Kim Hughes got 100 against us in Australia once. 
Peter Willey got 100 at Antigua in the first test match we played. Uh, Graham Gooch got 100 against us in Barbados um, in the same test match that everybody talks about Michael Holding and how fast he bowled. Mm-hmm. Nobody remembered that I got the most wickets in the test, but there's another story in another time. Greg Chappell got a brilliant 100 against us first test match I played in Australia in 1979-80. But the point is, they have to bat well because I am not going to give away runs and I'm certainly not going to give you any quarter when I'm bowling. My point is to get you out by any means necessary. That is absolutely fair and I agree with you on that. But uh, is there a feeling that you know, West Indies fast bowlers uh, were unfairly criticized for how they approached their job, say, compared to, say, Jeff Thompson, who also went headhunting. You know, he also wanted to get people out. Wanted to well, you go batsmen. back again with this headhunting business. The purpose of aggression is to get batsmen out. Correct. At the top level, if the batsmen are not good enough, then they should go and play tennis, go and play golf. But don't be telling me that you can't cope with fast bowling because you are ill-prepared. That's crap. Is there ever a feeling that, you know, even though there were other bowlers not from West Indies that uh, followed in similar methods like yours, that uh, West Indies bowlers perhaps unfairly got the criticism than the others? Well, I don't know why that is. It could be because for a small nation of 7.5 million, we were beating all the world. We were beating Australia with their... 18, 25 million. We were beating England with a 60 million. And we were beating India with a 1 billion nearly. So it didn't matter that when you go in the cricket field, there are 11 guys against 11 guys. I don't care what population you come from. Mm -hmm. And we were fortunate. I would say fortunate because I know that Clive Lloyd planned to get a good team after they were beaten so badly in Australia in 1975-76 by Thompson, Lilly, Gilmore, and Walker. Uh, but I think it was just opportune. There's a word called synchronicity. Mm-hmm. And for Clive Lloyd, that was synchronicity. At one stage, just after that, he had Michael Holding, Andy Roberts, Colin Croft, Joel Garner, Malcolm Marshall, Sylvester Clark, Wayne Daniel, and Norbert Phillip, about seven or eight guys mm-hmm. he could pick four from and could be just as aggressive. Right. I was fortunate because of maybe the, my returns and, and my fitness that I, I stayed in the team literally from start to finish of my career. That was synchronicity for Clive Lord in terms of the bowling, but then he also had three wicket keepers to pick one. He had maybe four opening batsmen to pick two. You had about 10,000 middle-order batsmen to pick five. <laughs> so synchronicity happens. It happens in West Indies cricket in the, between, say, 1976 and 1995, I suppose, mm-hmm. if you add in all the guys, but especially between when Clive Lloyd was captain up to about 1986-87. Now, I want to talk about the great years of West Indian cricket and then perhaps compare it with the... Uh, great Australian sides of the late 90s and early 2000s. But first, I want to talk about your bowling action itself, you know. Well, let's talk about the team first, and then we'll talk okay. about the action. All right. Okay, all right. Um, the team that we beat in like, the first time West Indies beat Australia, mm-hmm. in Australia, is 1979-80. Correct. And the team that we beat in 1979-80 would have beaten Steve Waugh's team. Oh, okay. It's as simple as that. The, the difference between... Ian and Greg Chappell's team and Steve Waugh's team was, was um, Shane Warne, hmm. a brilliant leg spinner, but he was the only person that I could say stood out. Don't misunderstand me. Steve Waugh 
Mark Waugh, um, Glenn before them, Alan Border, brilliant batsmen. But the combination that played under Ian and Greg Chappell would have beaten the Australian team of the, that has become the world champions in the 2000s, I mean, except uh, yeah. for Shane Warne. Mm -hmm. Uh, I look at the numbers here, you know, the uh, West Indies team for a stretch of about, uh, let's say, uh, from 76 to 85, they played about 61 tests and won 32 of those tests, whereas uh, the Australian team of 99 to 2000, up to 2006-2007, they won 70 out of 95 tests, so a much superior rate. Why do you think that is, you know? Well, it's a much superior rate because the rest of the opposition became crap. <laughs> it's as simple as that. See, when we were playing, every team we played against could have beaten us. Hmm. We had to play out of our skins to beat Pakistan with Majid Khan and, and Zahir Abbas and Wazim Rajan, and Imam Khan and Safraz Nawaz and, and all of those guys, the, the Mohammed, Sadiq and Mushtaq. Hmm. Um, for India, we had to play Sunil Gavaskar, Vishwanath, Kapil Dev, um, um, Roger Bini, Surinda, Mahinda, Amanath, and, all, and a whole set of guys. England, Gower, Gooch, uh, Botham, and those kind of guys. You know, Mike Hendrick and Bob Willis. All teams. Australia. Don't talk about Australia at all. You had, you had Laird. You had the two chapels. You had um, Hughes. You had Border. Um, Thompson, Lilly, Lenny Pasco, you, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of guys. So we had to play out of our skins to beat every team. When Australia became uh, um, world champions, most teams had two players. Australia, when we beat them, had 11, at least nine, who were world, world class. Oh, I see. Okay. That's so it's not so much the numbers, but the standards of the teams that they were playing. I see. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You put it that way. Let's talk. I want to talk about you as a bowler, your action, and then how you went along with the rest of the West Indies. Well, bowlers. Bowling action for me, and I've got all the coaching um, qualifications like everybody else that the West Indies Cricket Board has. I've got the highest they could give. Bowling is about being confident and being relaxed and being normal. It's like sprinting. Mm -hmm. you, you have to be I suppose the right word is, is, is to be more natural. I think that's the word, natural. Mm -hmm. You don't change a guy's um, approach or his delivery or his follow-through unless it's dangerous to his health. And that's why most of the coaches now are having such a bad time because they think they have to change something. Mm. Most cricketers... They don't need to be changed. They need to be tweaked here and there. But you don't change things just for the sake of changing. One coach once told me mm -hmm. that a guy bowled right hand, but he looked like he could be a left-hand bowler. Now, that's the kind of stupidity you hear from coaches. <laughs> you had a very straight runner, but you jumped wide in your delivery stride and bowled Again, the it's about, about being at ease. Nobody taught me to bowl. I bowled because I was comfortable and confident and at ease and natural the way I bowled. Oh. If I were in England or um, at least England, I'm not so sure about Australia because they like a little bit of a maverick in their cricketers. But if I were in England in the 70s, mm -hmm. I would not have played test cricket because they would have tried to coach me out of how I bowled naturally. Um, so that action of yours, did that give any additional advantage to it? Did you see any benefits in it? 
I don't know if it gave anybody else an advantage. It must have given me. I got 125 wickets <laughs> from 27 tests. And that's just about five wickets a test. Now, if I get five wickets a test and we got four bowlers, mm. we should win most test matches. Of course, of course. So, how was your bowling? You know, not just the style and the substance of it. Um, the whole package. How was it complementary to the other bowlers? You know, any other three bowlers that? Well, uh, that's large, an interesting question because when I started playing for the West Indies in 1977, 76-77 against Pakistan, mm-hmm. I was actually opening bowler, but I wasn't comfortable with it. I did really, really well in my first Test series. I got 33 wickets against Pakistan, um, but that's because the Pakistanis played West Indies type cricket, and we just outplayed them two to one. The truth is, they probably should have won the first test match. So it should have been 2-2. Mm. They really should have won the first test match in Barbados. Had they won that, who knows? They may have beaten us. But we managed to draw it. That was my first test. Myself and Andy Roberts managed to hold on at the end. And we drew the test match. And then we went to Trinidad. I got 8 for 29. We won that test match. Yeah. Went to Guyana, drew, and then came back to the same Trinidad and Tobago and lost. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one in Jamaica. So Pakistan, my first test series, they could have beaten us. I opened the bowling and did really, really well, but was never really comfortable with it. So remember, I was replacing Michael Holding, who was injured in 1976-77 after coming from England. Mm-hmm. And Wayne Daniel was also injured. So when they became fit, Holding managed to get back into the team. He opened the bowling with Roberts. Then I was even more comfortable bowling as first change, sometimes mm. second change. In a test match in Australia, I bowled, I think, number five. Mm. I got the most wickets. I couldn't be bothered, but I didn't. If, if I were to be asked, did I like a new ball? The answer would be no. A mm. second new ball, yes, if it got that far, but uh, certainly not the first new ball. So, in terms of bowling styles itself, I mean, I mean, there is this theory about, you know, having variety in your bowlers. You know, you don't want everyone to be a right-hander. You don't want everyone to be left-handed and all that stuff. So, how did you guys... Um, every uh, one of the West Indian fast bowlers, every single one of them were in an individual. Mm-hmm. They all did different things with the ball. They all had different trajectories. They were all different heights. They all had different angles of attack. They had all... Um, all sorts of things. Everything was different from everyone else. So while we were all collectively fast bowlers, none of us were the same. Hmm. But however, you know, you still have only 20 wickets to take in a test match, and it has to go between four bowlers. So what is the competition like? Well, the composition for a bowling team is to get 20 wickets. You're correct. If somebody gets five in the game, if somebody gets eight in the game, if somebody gets two in the game but bowls well and doesn't, that's how it works. I, um, for, for supposedly, as I said, if you compare my record to Holding and Roberts and Garner, I think I would stand up very well. I think for that matter, I may have bowled two or three of them, two of them in, in my career. But the point of the four bowlers is to get 20 wickets. How how is this person? And divided really doesn't matter to me in the least. When I got a ball in my hand, I'm going to get wickets. That's it. That's why my strike rate was so high. My purpose was to get people out. I don't know about defending and all that crap. Hmm. You got to get out. That's why I'm bowling. I don't want to run 25, 30 meters every time (laughs) just because I want to be defending. That's a waste of time. 
So, I mean, that, that is also a very typically uh, Pakistani fast bowler mentality, which is, you know, Imran Khan, Masim Akram, Makar, Yunus, Shoy Bakhtar, the similar mentality. But uh, around the world, you see there is managing of the fast bowlers, managing the workload, and sometimes... Because you know, I told you, coaches have to find something to do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Cricketers are playing much more cricket now. And the truth be told, very few people are getting injured um, bowling. Batsmen are getting hit more now, and they, they, they're all padded up like knights. <laughs> and they're all getting more hit in the back of their head than when I played. Mm -hmm. You know, I could call batsmen who I played with who had such good, um, I mean, I, I never played against Daryl Cullinan, but brilliant footwork. Steve Waugh, brilliant footwork. Jimmy Adams, Raul Dravid, Inzamam, Alex Stewart. Look at those guys and tell me how many times you've seen them hit anywhere. Mm -hmm. They don't get hit. And in all the time, you know, the chaplains would hook and cut. Where's the last time you see a batsman cut or hook at anybody? All they do is duck. Hmm. Because they got an armor. <coughs> <laughs> and they still get hit because the truth is they're 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 not scared. They're just not as mobile as they, they would say thirty years ago. It's as simple as that. You know, looking back on it, you know, thirty thirty nearly forty years afterwards, um, is you know, you, there is always this. Now there is an aura around the West Indies fast bowlers. But you must have gone through some tough spells so as well. West Indies does not have any fast bowlers right now. They have opening bowlers, but go ahead. Uh, no, no, no. I'm talking about uh, from your time, from the 70s and the 80s. You yeah. know, uh, but you must have gone through, even as great as you guys were, you must have gone through some bad spells where you're getting hammered or not, getting, not able to get uh, the batsman out. Personally, I may have had one bad test match in my 27 that I could think about. Mm -hmm. The only test match I played at Lords. Mm. Outside of that, I can't call any other test match I've played in. Um, not a good one. I bowled well that day. I just didn't get any wickets. And I got a, actually, I got a couple of wickets with no balls. I think I got three wickets in the test with no balls. The only test I played without a, a wicket, I think. Mm. Um, but outside of that, I can't think of any bad spells that I've bowled or the team has had. There are times that we've drawn test matches. Of course, we have drawn test matches because the other team was just as good. They batted well. But then there were other times that we, we basically just blew the opposition away. And that had nothing to do with um, styles or abilities or str uh, struggles or stresses. It's just that the opposition was just as good at, on, the, on that test match or on those occasions. Okay. Um, what sort of relationship did you have with your captain, Clive Lloyd? And also, you know, a bowler is supposed to have a good relationship with the wicket keepers. So what kind of relationship did you have with your captain and the wicket keepers? Well, I had a very good relationship with Clive Lloyd because two things. A, remember, he came from Guyana. Guyana as well, yeah. And I, I was in high school when I first saw Clive Lloyd, Lance Gibbs, Roy Fredericks playing for Guyana against Barbados. I think that would be 1967, 68. I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, and, and so, and by, by the, a year later, I was talking to people like Joe Solomon and Basil Bocha, who were in charge of um, Guyana's youth team when I first played 69-70, along with people like Clyde Walcott, who was down in Guyana coaching. Um, so I had a very good relationship with all of them. They were all extremely helpful, and this is the point I need to make. The best coaches of fast bowling are batsmen. The best um, coaches of batting are probably bowlers because they know what to get people out with. My first sojourn out of Guyana, 
internationally was to Warwickshire in 1972. I was on a, um, a scholarship sponsored by one of the newspapers in Guyana, newspapers near the Chronicle. Mm-hmm. And Lance Gibbs at that time was playing for Warwickshire. He, Rohan Kanai, and, um, Alvin Kalicharan, and Derek Murray were all playing for Lancashire, uh, sorry, for Warwickshire at that time. Mm-hmm. And I became very good friends with them because they helped me a lot. I stayed at their house, and to this day, we are very good friends when we meet. Crack a joke here, talk about old times there and that kind of stuff. And that kind of relationship has always remained. I have had no problems. Derek Murray, for that matter, is the first person to have brought a proper set of bowling boots to me from Australia in 1975-76. Hmm. I never paid him a penny. The same boots that Thompson and Lily and those wore in 1975-76, he brought a pair for me. I asked him about it when they were going in 75-76, and he did it, and he never asked me for a penny. Well, that pair of cricket boots lasted almost my entire career. I had three of them uh, together, but that one lasted literally to the end of my career, from 1976 to 1983. Do you have any guidance from them uh, on of the field? Of course I had guidance from on, them on the field, in terms of bowling. And, and See, as I told you, mm-hmm. the best coaches of bowlers are batsmen. They know what could get people out. They know what um, trajectories, what length you should be bowling. Remember, if you look at a guy like, say, Roy Fredericks or or even Sir Vivian Richards, mm-hmm. and then you look at Clive Lloyd, who's way taller than both of them, mm-hmm. then you've got to bowl differently to, to those two guys. But in the nets, I've gotten them out. And when we play regional cricket against Barbies, I've gotten Desmond Haynes and Gordon Greenwich and Viv Richards out for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason being, you have to be able to adjust your cricket based on what you know about them mm-hmm. and maybe what they themselves would have taught you. Earlier on in the conversation, you had mentioned about taking 8 for 29 against Pakistan in only a second test at uh, Port of Spain. Did that set a, you know, the level of expectations on you by yourself or by the fans or the team itself? Did you feel any well, pressure? Well, there are a couple of things about that. 8 for 29 was my second test. The first test I got, uh, let's see if I can remember right now off the top of my head, 3 for 65 and 4 for 47, I think. I got to check that. 3 for 85? Three for 85, not 65, and four for 47. Yeah. Correct. So I had seven wickets in my first test. That is not a bad start. But my then next you have test, a career best figures are eight, of, eight for 29, you know? The next test is eight for 29. <clears throat> I will say that eight for 29 officially is my best figures. Mm-hmm. But I bowled much better than that in my life. I bowled at the same Queen's Park over. I got five for 40 against England in, in 1981 when we beat them a long way. Um, in Antigua, the first test match in Antigua at the Antigua uh, Recreation Ground, I think. Uh, let's see what I got. Six for 74 or seven for 64. Could never remember that. <laughs> and I think I bowled better than the eight for 29. The eight for 29 was a, a good spell. It was more or less, in my mind, a semi-fluke. I bowled some deliveries then that were really, really good. One of them I remember bowling to, it was a leg cutter to Asif Iqbal. I didn't even call him. Batsman who could bat out of this world. Mm-hmm. Use his feet like you can't believe. It was pitched outside leg stump and he was caught behind by Derek Murray. It was a leg break. Mm. I bowled to... Intikaba Lamb, who was batting, I think, at number nine, an off-break. The pitch was off, someone hit his leg stump. Mm. You know, there was a good spell, but to me it was more like a fluke spell. It was just my second test match. I was experimenting, it worked. 
So uh, did that uh, kind of returns, 8 for 29, did that put any pressure on you at all, though? No, not to me. Okay. All I wanted to do was play. Okay. And uh, I managed to do that. But the main ingredient of fast bowling, and I will say this to anybody, and I'm sure you could confirm this with um, Courtney Walsh or Sir Curtly Ambrose or Alan Donald, Ian Bishop, McGrath, mm -hmm. Lee, whoever you have, Shoaib Akhtar, those guys. Mm -hmm. The main ingredient of fast bowling is to be superbly fit. Mm -hmm. Now, from about 1968-69, when I started playing proper cricket in Guyana, until maybe 1999-2000, maybe as much as 2005, when I, the last of my practice with the West Indies cricket team, I would run somewhere between 5 and 20 miles every single day, you know. And that's just running. I'm talking right before you go bowling. So every day for about, I don't know, 30 years, I ran about 15, 20 miles every single day. That's the main ingredient of being a good fast bowler. You have got to be physically fit. And you can't get fit in a gym. You get strong in a gym. You get fit on the park running. Cricket is not an indoor game. Hmm. You can't get fit in a gym. The, 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 regardless of how much treadmills you do, the, the breathing will never be the same as running up hills or running golf courses. Never. You talk about it, but right now we have, say, Mitchell Johnson, who's an out-and-out -out fast bowler. Maybe Dale Stain sometimes hits that speeds. Maybe Morne Morkel hits from time Well, to time. it depends on what you call fast. In my mind, to be fast, don't misunderstand me. Okay. There are some very good bowlers who bowl somewhere between 75 and 90 miles per hour. 90 is about 144 kilometers yeah. per hour, I guess. Yeah. 145. There are a lot of good bowlers who bowl below that and get magnificent spells and wickets. But when you talk about real fast bowling, you've got to be over 90. It takes about one-third to one-half of a second from the, from the hand to the bat. That is fast bowling, not the crap of 75 miles per hour. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. That's why I'm saying there are very few bowlers that consistently hit 90-plus these days. Uh, as I said, uh, Mitchell Johnson does it. From time to time, you see Morne Morkel and maybe Stephen does it. But other than, other than that, you don't see many fast bowlers in the world anyway. Um, why do you think that... Uh, a couple of things have changed. A, they have recognized that bowling quickly does not necessarily mean you're going to get wickets. Mm -hmm. Right? The batsmen have become much less, much, much easier to get out than in my time. I've got to tell you that. Oh, you see. Okay. These batsmen nowadays are easy to get out. Because they can't get out of the way. Nobody leaves the ball. They all think they need to hit the ball. Hmm. So once you're playing at the ball, I'm happy because you're going to get out. Hmm. I see. It's as simple as that. Because cricket has now become a much faster game by the Australians. You've got to give them credit for that. Mm -hmm. And so the batsmen are now more, I don't know if the word is interested. Are they impatient? In, in, uh, would you say they're impatient? No, they're invigorated hmm. by... But, but I guess the game has become a little faster, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Hmm. I actually enjoy test cricket, and even I love T20s. I love it. The other day I was doing some commentary for ESPN mm -hmm. um, cricket. For, I think you would have seen that for the World T20. I love yeah. T20 with, with a passion because what it has done, it has straightened out the bowlers fast and slow. It made the batsmen much, much more agitated. And the feeling has been superb. It's gone all to this world. So T20s have served their purpose. But I think a lot of batsmen bring that T20 attitude to test cricket, and they lose out. Correct. 
Correct. They lose out terribly. Today, Sri Lanka played against um, mm. England, and the same thing happened with both teams. You know, England played as if they were playing a T20. They mm. got less than two. You can't get less than 250 runs in a 50-over game. <laughs> That's foolishness. Sri Lanka in a couple of games earlier, same thing. They were playing as if they were T20 games, and they, a 50-over game is literally a test match. Because you, if you play in a test match and you have good bowlers, you could actually get a team out in less than 50 overs. I mean, can we imagine for a second if, if you had T20s in the 70s and the 80s when you guys were dominating the world, would the same thing have happened to the batsmen around the world at that time? I think so. I think that the, the, the T20 scores would have been very, very low because in those days, batsmen tended to line up the deliveries more and leave a lot of them more. Now, when, when we won the World Cup in 1979, when I played in the World Cup, now the West Indies won in 75, of course, mm-hmm. but when, I, when we played in 1979, in 60 overs, we managed 290-something runs, and maybe Correct. 293, I think. Now, nowadays, South Africa, England, Australia, Pakistan, India, you get them 50 overs, they could get 350 runs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? West Indies, even the West Indies of today could probably get you 320 if everybody bats well because the batting has become a lot quicker. The bowling has become a little bit easier to hit because the bowling is not consistently good or consistently fast. I mean, talking about T20, you know, that is, in terms of franchise cricket, it has given up, given rise to another sort of trouble, problem, I suppose, where you have country versus club. Um, you know, recently you had Narayan, Sunil Narayan staying back in India and missing the camps. Well, I think Sunil Narayan's situation is Mm -hmm. a very unique one, and I'll explain why I say that. Please. Sunil Narayan did not come to the world's notice by playing for the West Indies. Correct. He came to the world's notice by playing for Trinidad and Tobago in the Champions League, I think it was. Yes, it was. Um, because they were brought, I don't know if it was, I can't remember if it was India or South Africa. But he was an average cricketer in Trinidad and Tobago. Somebody, I, I think it might have been Dinanath Ramnarayan and Darren Ganga, saw a little bit of promise in the guy and gave him a shot. Mm-hmm. He came to the Champions okay, League yeah. and mesmerized the whole world. Suddenly, he's playing T20s, but the guy had not played for the West Indies at all. Sunil Narayan's only played six test matches or thereabouts for the West Indies. Right. He's not played a lot of one days or T20s for that matter for the West Indies. So he came about things the, the, the indirect way. Most of us who played county cricket in the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. except, say, Gordon Greenwich and Andy Roberts, I think those were the only two, maybe Clive Lloyd, but I think Clive Lloyd had played test also. Derek Murray played test before he actually played properly for Trinidad and Tobago. But very, very few of us played county cricket before we played test cricket. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the, the difference. Most of us did play county cricket and learned a lot by playing county cricket. But we were first seen on the test field. We and Daniel, myself, um, Andy Roberts was um, in Hampshire's cold Senate at Gova before he... Um, Play for the West Indies, and I think Viv Richards too. Uh, Gordon Greenwich, definitely. But outside of those few, 
all of us had to first play for the West Indies to be seen mm-hmm. by somebody. Sunil Narayan was not playing for the West Indies. So he <laughs> has... Uh, loyalties that are divided. He wants to play for Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. He wants to play for the West Indies. But he also owes a lot of his success to play for Trinidad and Tobago in the Champions Trophy. Correct. Sorry, Champions League. And having been discovered in the Champions League, he owes a debt to whoever selects him. I think he plays for KKR now, correct? Correct, correct. And he's always played for KKR, correct? Yes, yes. So there you go. So I could understand it. It's not that the guy doesn't want to play for the West Indies. His loyalties are severely divided and severely tested. He wants to play. I got great respect, really great respect for these guys playing now. Uh, Because, you know, the idea I was talking to Dwayne Bravo, and he said to me, he said, Crofty, you guys... I know you've played professional cricket, but it is real hard these days Hmm. to be a professional cricketer. When we played, you know, I would play maybe three or four months in the Caribbean, uh, maybe two two months in England or three months, that's about six months, and then a tour at the end of the year for two months, that's maybe eight months a year. These guys nowadays are playing 10, 11 months a year. They have families, but... They also have to to do what we could not do, and that is at the height. And I was seeing a program like this on the NFL the other day. Mm-hmm. On, at the height of their careers, they would be in professional sport maybe maybe 15 years, and that's not normal. 10 years is probably normal. Correct. So from age 20 to age, say, 35, mm-hmm. you got to make enough money to keep your life from age 35 to age 85. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. And so that is why they do the sacrifices of playing 10 and 11 months a year. It's hard on them. I know it's very, very difficult to keep your intensity up for 10 and 11 months a year. But they are professionals, and I really feel it for them sometimes. But there's nothing they could do about it. The game has gone on. The game has become so fast and so lucrative and so expansive that they have no choice. They just got to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, okay, I, I understand that. And I don't blame a player making a choice one way or the other. That's totally fine with his personal choice. Well, I, I could tell you about those choices. I mean, everybody called people like myself um, mercenaries when we went to South Africa in 1983 and all the rest of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't like broaching the South African subject, but I, w- I had to actually borrow money to get the down payment for a house I was building for my mother while I was playing for the West Indies. Mm-hmm. You heard what I just said? Yes, yes. I had to borrow money to get the down payment hmm. to, for a house that I was building for my mother in Guyana that was worth about 30000 United States dollars. In 1978-79, and I was playing for the West Indies. I cannot go to any grocery in Barbados, I don't know, or Guyana or Trinidad and Tobago, and tell them that my name is Colin Croft, or in Florida or the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. They'll probably call the police or the, or, or, or the paramedics because I might have thief or mad. Mm-hmm. I have to buy stuff. I have to look after my, have to look after a son. So it's all well and good for people to say all sorts of things. Cricketers made 
a very paltry living. And yeah. I, I know. And also, personally, I you know I, I played professional cricket, but I was never a professional cricketer. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing altogether. For me, cricket was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I had abilities. I suppose if I were an American, I probably would have played um, American football. I, uh, with my height, six feet six, 230 pounds, 220 pounds, I probably would have been a tight end, but I would have been a damn good one. Mm-hmm. I am sure of it because my attitude to sport is you either do it properly or don't do it at all. Mm. For that matter, life. Anything worth doing is doing worth doing to the best of your ability, and that was the motto of the school that I I taught at the first job I ever had in Guyana. There's no point of trying to be a fast bowler if you can't bowl fast, bat, spin, or wicket keep. Don't try to be a fast bowler if you can't do it properly. You had tremendous abilities, and you did really well on the field, as you said, um, and the records show that, of course. Um, but your uh, international career lasted only five years because of your travel to South Africa. Well, so are there any well no, as I said, I was not, I played professional cricket. I played for the West Indies. I was paid for it, partially, but paid. My first uh, series against Pakistan, um, 33 wickets, Miami series, West Indies Cricket of the Year, Guyana Sportsman of the Year, and I got, the equivalent of three thousand TT dollars, which in today's money is five hundred US dollars for five test matches and two one day internationals. What the hell am I going to buy with that? Sure. But more than that, I um, cricket for me was just fun. I started out thinking I wanted to be an airline pilot before I was in primary. Uh, correction, before I was in high school, hmm. I um, didn't know how I would have gone there. But after I became a teacher from 1971 to 73, I then became an air traffic controller from 1973 to 1981. While I was playing for the West Indies, I was an air traffic controller. And playing Kerry Packer, playing for, um, for the West Indies, and then playing for South, in South Africa allowed me to get a proper education mm-hmm. and get myself fully into aviation. I see. Uh, but, uh, you know, are there any... Uh, Bad feelings, regrets, you know, because after no. you guys, after you guys, you know, the group of you that went to South Africa and everybody, you know, you met the pariahs, uh, the outcasts, and then everybody has well, the only, only, tell me this. no, no, Crofty, Crofty. Wait, 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 let me ask you this. I'll answer that. Do you know that when we play for World Series cricket, we were also banned? Yes. We were actually banned. The only reason that we were brought back to West Indies cricket in 1979 is because we were defending champions. Mm-hmm. But the entire West Indies team were banned from playing for the West Indies after we went to World Series cricket, Kerry Parker, in 1978. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the same thing? Which is, why I'm, which is why I'm asking you this, because you, know, you are not doing it for an ideological reason or philosophical reason, but you want because you're not making, as you said, you had to make a down payment on your mother's house because you were making to, any money. Uh, more than that, I had to feed a, a child who was born in 1980. So, you know, you make these choices because of existential crises. crises. People make choices all the time. But I made a choice not to live in Guyana because I live in the United States. Mm-hmm. Whatever the reasons, I had to make a choice. Correct. But when you hear from your peers, uh, whether from the West Indies or from outside West Indies, making such uh, claims about your character, even though you... It doesn't matter one way or the next to me. You see, um, what people think about me does not matter. 
I have learned a long time ago that you can't change people's opinions or on a, an opinion, you know, and, and this was told to me by a professor at one of my son's universities. An opinion is neither right or wrong. It belongs to the person um, suggesting it. That's it. Okay. okay. An opinion is neither right or wrong. What you think about me is your business, not mine. <laughs> but then, I don't care what people think about me. I have never been to jail. I've never broken any rules in any country. I, I've been in a courtroom, I think, three times in my lifetime, all of them about um, things that are normal. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, um, um, I, what people think about me is their business. Yeah, the, I agree. Like, that is now. We're talking in 2014. No, but sir, when it happened, that was then. Even back then? You don't get me. I do, I'm the same person I've been okay. from the time I know me. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, um, but are there any regrets at all, the fact that, you know, you played only for five years, international cricket? I guess in retrospect, I would have, I, you know, if I think about it now, I would say, well, you know, I probably could have got 200 test wickets too, mm -hmm. or 300 test wickets, and, and maybe that's the only regret. But so what? I played for the West Indies. I was honored enough to have been selected. I was good enough to be still considered in, 19, in 2014, still one of the most devastating fast bowlers ever. My record stands up to anybody who's been around. And I've had a good time. What I would like to do is to transpose some of my experiences, some of my attitude to someone else playing now and in the future. They're too soft. Hmm. They all think this is a joke, and they laugh. I have never in my entire career had a beer with any of my opposition. They were not my friends. Why the hell am I having a beer with them? <laughs> they are the enemy. I got to get them out by any means necessary. Hmm. Your job as a batsman is to try to get hundreds. I don't clap when a batsman gets a hundred, you know. Hmm. He's doing his, his job. When a bowler gets five wickets, I don't clap. That's his job. Why the hell do you think you picked him? <laughs> but there is, um, there is appreciation of sport as well, correct? At test level, cricket is not a sport. It's a job. It's entertainment, but it is a job. Michael Jackson was the world's best entertainer. Mm. Every time he turned up at the Orange Bowl, where I saw him in 1983, mm -hmm. or, or Rihanna, when she turns up at some, some park with 100,000 people, you think she's doing it for free? It's her damn job. Hmm. She gets paid for that. So cricket might be entertainment to the people attending. To the 22 people involved, it's their job. And therefore, it's not funny. And that's how seriously I take it. Until such time that West Indies cricketers get back to that. Now, let's, don't misunderstand me, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, uh, Ian Chappell. Mm -hmm. um, the hardest man I've played, at, played against in Australia, Greg Chappell, um, Boycott, Gooch, Gower, Botham, um, Majid Khan, Sunil Gavaskar, you call the names, Bruce Edgar, um, John Wright from New Zealand, all those guys. You ask any of them and they will tell you, I have never disrespected them on or off the field. Mm. Never. We never talked on the field. I see them on the street. I say hello when I was playing, and I was, you know, but we were never friends. We were respected enemies in my mind. Mm -hmm. It's see. like Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser, mm. you know, 
They never liked each other, but they died. At least Joe Fraser died recognizing that without Muhammad Ali, he would not have been anything. I got you. We never said a word, you know. I never sledged anybody in my life. We didn't need to. Hmm. I mean, I've had a few run-ins here and there with people on the field, you know, um, cricketers and umpires, as, as you well know. <laughs> True. <laughs> and it's truly a run-in, of course. But, um... Um, you know, to bring it off the field never happened. Hmm. Never happened. Okay. Because I recognized that those guys were also doing the same job I'm doing to the best of their abilities. I mean, people like Joel Garner and Mikey Holding and Clive Lord and them, they would share a beer with, with, with mutual respect. Well, I couldn't. I was at war for five days of every test match. It's as simple as that. I see, I see. But does it take an emotional toll on you when you're so focused and so... No. No? Okay. When I went home and talked to my son, I was a big teddy bear. <laughs> and he will tell you that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, you say that. He used to say, my dad is so big, he's like a teddy bear. He was two <laughs> years old. Because I couldn't be bothered. About... Once I left the cricket field, it's like doing cricket commentary. Mm-hmm. What I say, what I said last night, I can't remember because what I've said is exactly what I thought at that moment. Mm -hmm. End of story. It doesn't come with me to tomorrow. Okay, okay, fair enough. And that's how I operate in every part of my life. When I was flying, you make a, a good landing, wonderful. Next time, you might not make such a good landing, but you walked away from it, still wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Life goes on. You don't stress about the small things, man. Fantastic. I want to leave the conversation on that note itself, Crofty. Uh, I think that's perfect. <laughs> Whatever you say, sir. No problem. Thanks for the, thanks for the opportunity. My pleasure. Absolutely. No, sir. Thanks. Cheers. Couch Talk.